It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, we love Burger King Grilled Dogs. They're made with 100% beef, and they're 100%. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to go in-depth on the Sacramento Kings because I think they've been a great story so far this year, and with the extension to Rudy Gay, I thought now was a good time to really hit them in some depth, and I wanted to talk to James Hamm. He's writer-reporter for Cowbell Kingdom, which is a fabulous ESPN True Hoop blog, and if you follow the Kings closely, you should know James. If you don't, you will after this. He's great guy resource for that he does podcast work he does a lot of good writing so we talked in depth we go into demarcus cousins how he's done how how the team has done so well in the beginning with their hot starts and everything else and where they're going what they could potentially do in terms of trades and theoretically for agents and so we talked for about an hour 15 just on the king so it's one of those in-depth ones that i love doing and hope you enjoy it too thanks so much for coming on no problem the Kings have been one of the early season success stories, and I wanted to, before we get into any leading questions, I wanted to see what you thought were the main causes for that success right now. And if I were to point to one thing, the maturation of DeMarcus Cousins and him and Rudy Gay spending time together in Spain, I think is a huge piece to the puzzle. But I also believe that the addition of Darren Collison I'm not quite sure, like when we first met Darren Collison, I, you know, I've met him before in, in other locker rooms, uh, Clippers, you know, he's been around. But when we first met him in Las Vegas, the Kings brought him in to sign his contract and let the media come in and, and watch him sign his contract, uh, which is always kind of strange. You know, you're hear, hearing all the contract lingo from everyone going back and forth. Anyway, they gave him to us, and I, I didn't know – if I was fully buying what Darren Collison was telling me. And, you know, you if you've been around NBA players long enough, like you have, I have, 
some guys talk a big game and you don't know what they back it up with. And from what I've seen from Darren Collison so far, he talks a really, really good leadership game. And from all accounts, he is backing it up 100% both on the court and off the court. DeMarcus Cousins specifically has talked about how incredible he has been as like a positive influence, always positive affirmations. He talks to everyone. He puts his arm around everyone. He gives them advice. He's a very, very good leader. And on top of that, what he has done to opposing point guards, I, I think, is being missed by the national media. It's being missed by a lot of people. But when you hold some of these, Ty Lawson, one of eight from the field, you can go down the list, players of elite point guards that have matched up against the Sacramento Kings. Tony Parker the other night against San Antonio uh, finishes with 11 points. That's what we've seen every night. We've seen Darren Collison beat the opposing point guard almost every single game, and he would be my number one contributing factor to why the Sacramento Kings are 6-4 and four going into the matchup against Pelicans on Tuesday night. Wow, that's that's definitely high praise for him. And the other component of it that I've seen is it also feels like having an extra year also with some continuity and, as you said, the important addition of Darren Collison to Mike Mullen's system, They the biggest difference to me has been on the defensive end. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say the defensive end, there's two things that I – well, there's a three-head approach that I think that, that Michael Malone goes with. Uh, number one, defense is first and foremost in his mind at all times. The Kings talked a lot about pace and pushing the ball and all this stuff in, in during the offseason, but Michael Malone wanted none of that. This this is a knockdown, drag-out, like 1993 New York Knicks team. That's what he's tried to instill in this team. And so it's defense, it's rebounding, and it's being the aggressor and getting to the foul line. Because I think what some people miss with foul shooting is that when you're able to go to the foul line, whether you make it or miss it, it allows you to get back and set your defense up early. Because you're already, you know, two guys are already back there waiting. It's a way to, again, kind of slow down the game and let you set your defense so you have a good defensive possession every time. And the Kings are by far shooting more free throws than anyone. A lot of people are saying it's not sustainable. I disagree completely. The players that they have are free throw shooting players. DeMarcus Cousins should average over 10 free throws a game. Nobody can stop him in the post. Rudy Gay is another guy over seven free throw attempts a game. Darren Collison, six free throw attempts a game. These guys are going at their opposition every night. And that it, it's playing into this whole puzzle that Michael Malone is trying to, you know, instill into his guys. So, yes, I think having Michael Malone for a second year has been great. He is a very, very good coach, and I think a lot of people weren't sure if he was going to make it through this season, specifically because the Kings' early season, you know, their schedule was just brutal, and it still is. It's brutal. And the fact that they're 6-4 and four is absolutely shocking to everyone. But everyone also knows that Pete D'Alessandro, offensive guy, Michael Malone, defensive guy, is this oil and, and water? Uh, can they mix? Can they figure it out? And certainly at this point, uh, Michael Malone is making himself untouchable by the way his team is playing, the way that his team is buying into him and into his system, the way he has got DeMarcus Cousins buying into him. And, you know, again, Rudy Gay signing an extension because he likes playing for Michael Malone. That's one of the reasons why Rudy Gay is still here. 
Yeah, it definitely is. And you talked about rebounding. One of the most incredible stats about Sacramento so far this year is that right now their rebound rate is at 55.2, which is about 3% higher than any team did last year. So you can argue that's unsustainable and whatever. You can go with that. But I want to put that number in a little bit of context for people because what 55% means is since every rebound goes to one team or the other team, that means that the Kings are getting 10% more rebounds than the other team. That is a whole lot of difference in terms of the number of possessions that they get as opposed to their opponents. Yeah, I mean, this team is built with rebounders, though. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins is an elite rebounder. Jason Thompson is a solid rebounder. Rudy Gay at the at the small forward position is a very good rebounder. After that, I, I think what we've seen is, you know, again, Collison as a point guard is a solid rebounder. He comes back for the ball. They do a lot of team rebounding. You're seeing Reggie Evans come off the bench, Carl Landry, especially on the offensive end. Carl Landry gets you, you know, two or three offensive rebounds every night. This team is built to rebound. It's built to play defense, at least, you know, in the short term. I think, could they add other pieces? Yes, they could. You know, maybe they can improve the power forward position. Um, maybe they can add a, another piece in, in the backcourt uh, with Ramon Sessions playing so poorly and Nick Stauskas, you know, still being so young. That could increase that rebounding number even more. You know, veteran players tend to, to do more things on the court for you. And uh, the Kings are getting very little out of some of these players. But I, I like what they're doing. Again, Omri Caspi is a guy who is – he does have good rebounding instincts and – kind of left for dead after uh, after a season with the Houston Rockets last year. No one claimed him as, an, as a free agent. And uh, he's coming in, and he's again, he's flying to the ball. And that's what this mentality that Malone has instilled, is everyone is moving to the ball. Uh, they value the ball, except for early season turnovers. Uh, but they are valuing the possession, especially as a defensive unit, going and getting the rebounds so there aren't extra opportunities for their opposition. That's exactly right. As somebody who's been close with this team for years now, did this start surprise you at all? I think it surprised everybody, but I'll say this. Like, I'm not going to say, hey, uh, I had them winning, going 6-4, and four, but I wasn't convinced that the Kings would be as bad as everyone thought they would be, and I think they're a wild card. They were a wild card coming into the season, and they continue to be a wild card because people want to say that, you know, well, this team isn't very good. And, and over the course of the season, you know, they might win 40 games. But I think if you look at the way they're constructed, if you look at the fact that they have a, a superstar center, which no one else in the league has, in my opinion, DeMarcus Cousins is at this point the best center in the NBA. He, he's better than Dwight Howard. He's better than Joe Kim Noah. He's better than Marcus Hall, in my opinion. And the fact that if you look at the Western Conference and you take Kevin Durant out of the small forward position, who is better than Rudy Gay? I mean, you can think, you think, oh, there's got to be someone better. But at the small forward position, I think Rudy Gay got a really bad rap in Toronto. And then he came to Sacramento, and he's kind of rebuilt what he, you know, what he was before. And what he was before was that guy who's just barely not an all-star, and he's barely not an all-star because there are better players than him at the at the small forward position. But you take Durant out of the equation, and I'm not sure that that at this point he's not the best small forward in the Western Conference, you know, early in this season, and. That means you've got two guys who are very good. You've got, and then around them, you put pieces together. 
So I think this team had the potential to be better than they were last year. You know, again, they made a whole bunch of trades last season. They win 28 games, but they had, uh, you know, 10 games missed due to injury for Isaiah Thomas, 10 games for DeMarcus Cousins. You know, they made four major moves during the season, including a complete roster reset in December, and they still won 28 games. So this team was probably a little bit better than it was, you know, than the number last year. This was probably like a 36-win team. And a 36-win team can jump 10 games. They can jump 12 games. You just don't know what's going to happen. And I, I don't know how they're going to carry it forward, but you know their schedule, again, has been brutal. And the fact that they are 6-4 and four is a testament to what how, how good they have played. And not only that, they could easily be 8-2. and two. I mean, the Dallas game, they're up 24 points. The uh, Memphis game, you know, they're up 26 points. They easily could be six. I mean, eight and two on the season. And then what? What are people talking about? I think this team is much better than people thought coming in, and I think they will continue to prove that throughout the season. Yeah, I was the next question I was going to ask you. You led into it really well. Is those two games that they had remarkably dominant first quarters, first halves in some cases, and then ended up losing? What do you, What do you attribute that? ebb and flow to is that offensive thing or what how do you think that those losses happened well i mean the first the dallas game i'm gonna i'm gonna point out again that darren collison did miss that game he had a sore shoulder and couldn't go and when things went sideways the kings didn't have that calming influence to sort of get them back focused the kings when they're good is when they're they're punching people in the face on both ends of the floor when they're going to the line and when they're playing solid defense and you take out the floor general and all of a sudden it gets a little bit wonky. And what we've seen so far this season is the second unit of this team has really, really struggled. And what they do, the second unit, unfortunately for the Kings at this point is uh, you're looking at Ramon Sessions, you're looking at Nick Stauskas, Omri Caspi, and uh, and Carl Landry is their core four off the bench. And then sometimes you see Reggie Evans, and we saw a little bit of Derek Williams the other night. But that group, it's not that they can't, that they aren't solid offensively. It's that they really let things get out of control on the defensive end. And Michael Malone has had to make adjustments now to where he's not doing like a line change. I wasn't sure why he was doing that anyways, but – I would never pull four starters out and put four bench players in at one time. We've seen it quite a few times this year, or at least you know the entire starting lineup sitting on the bench together. This team isn't good enough from one through 13 to make that move. You need DeMarcus Cousins on the floor or Rudy Gay on the floor at all times. One of those two, in my opinion, has to be on the floor. They play really well together, but at the same time, this team isn't just – it's not strong enough from top to bottom to, to go without those two players. or And then you throw in Carlson as well. I think coming into this season, the idea was that uh, they are very young at the shooting guard position. Ben McLemore and Nick Stauskas are both 21 years old. You know, of course, McLemore has 82 games under his belt. Stauskas now has 10. And Stauskas has really struggled. He's only had a couple of three-pointers on the season, which is sort of his specialty coming in. He hasn't found his groove. Playing next to Ramon Sessions exposes him as a very weak link on the defensive end because Ramon Sessions is like a turnstile. I mean, the guy hasn't shown that he has any interest in playing defense at all. And then on top of that, 
he's not scoring well at all. I think, you know, he was shooting 20-something percent from the field in the first eight games of the season until he did get the start instead of Collison. And so what you're seeing is sort of this – the game gets out of control when they go to the bench, and then it's a scramble to, to get the starters back in. But by the time you do, you've lost momentum. Momentum changes, you know, happen in the NBA. But when you're playing against the Dallas Mavericks who literally have, you know – a core that's that's been together or that has played together in the past, you know, with Nowitzki and, and Chandler, it's a good team. It's a veteran team that doesn't make a lot of mistakes and that will fight to get back into a game. Same thing with Memphis. I mean, you look at Memphis, have those guys played together? I mean, their core has been together for five, six years, except for maybe Tayshaun Prince, who's been there two years. But outside of that, their core players – They've just played so many more games. They played more games together than half of the Kings have played in the NBA. And so when you look at that group, they are, again, a team that if you let them back in the door, they're going to beat you. So I would attribute the two losses to bad bench play causing a momentum shift and the fact that you're playing on the road against two very good teams. That's how you lose those games. Still shocking Still, you know, you have the uh, the protest is officially filed with on the Memphis game because the Kings do have an argument that there are two specific issues that the officials missed that uh, caused them to lose that game with 0.3 of a second left. Um, I don't know what the NBA will do with that, but again, they could easily be eight and two, and that's not. I mean, that it is what it is. I mean, you have to look at those two win at those two losses as games that they could have had easily. I think you raise a great point with the the issue with the bench, and it's something that I noticed a lot when Mike Mullen was at his last job when he was working under Mark Jackson, is that when you have a starting five that does really well together, and it certainly appears that that the Kings have that right now, and that they like each other and all that, you want to play them together. But the fundamental problem with that is that the net benefit isn't there because you need people to anchor your offense and defense. And what I've seen with the second unit of the Kings is, you're right that the the offense, they have the pieces and Stauskas hasn't been making shots and all that. They don't really have a rim protector. And what you want there, and you've seen it from from DeMarcus' improvement this year, is the role of a center in a defense often is to erase the mistakes of other guys. And so what I've noticed with Sacramento so far with the second unit is that when those guys win sessions and when Stauskas and those guys make mistakes – those mistakes become buckets as opposed to some of them becoming misses or becoming turnovers and things like that. And that's what leads to the feedback loop where if the other team is making baskets, they're getting confidence and they're getting more set on defense because it's harder to pull the ball out of the basket than to take it from a rebound. Yeah, I would agree with you. And the Kings do have a guy that they can put in there and sort of stem the tide. They haven't used him that often, But Ryan Hollins is a rim protector. He is a solid defensive player. He's also a very, very good off-the-court guy. He's kind of been uh, a mentor of sorts. Him and Reggie Evans have really done a lot of work with DeMarcus Cousins early, which it's really nice. It's what the Kings needed. They needed a guy who would buy into that and a guy who who has played alongside greats. I mean, again, Hollins played alongside Dirk Nowitzki. He played alongside Kevin Garnett. I mean, he's been all over the place. But he's seen greatness, and he can also tell DeMarcus Cousins what it takes to be great. While he, you know, some people are, uh, what is it, it, those who can't do, teach. You know, Ryan Hollins is never going to be an all-star. He's never going to be a 30-minute-a-game guy. But what he can be is a really good teacher for DeMarcus Cousins to help him develop and show, you know, sort of the ropes and, and 
what it takes, the extra work that you have to put in to be great. And uh, it's because he's seen it. He's seen it firsthand, and he's seen what it takes to be a superstar in the NBA. Now, Malone isn't going to him, and at some point, maybe he will, but it, maybe you're right. Maybe that is what they need to do. They need a, a defensive anchor with that second unit. The Kings don't have a true shop locker outside of Hollins. You know, they, they do have undrafted free agent rookie um, Eric Moreland, who they just brought back up from Reno, but he's not going to see any time anytime soon. Jason Thompson is not a natural shop locker, but what he's done on the defensive end against all-star level power forwards and centers this season, again, like Collison, has been very, very impressive. His offensive numbers are bad, but they do need to figure out a way to stem the tide when the defense comes on the when the second unit comes on the floor. And you're probably right; it probably is a defensive issue that needs to be rectified. Would your feel be that it would make more sense to play Collison with Cousins and then have Gay play more with the second unit? That's my, been my feel so far. And then you can put in a guy like Hollins or somebody like that to try to block some shots and change shots on defense. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. I think. The one thing that the Kings are waiting for is that game where DeMarcus Cousins doesn't get in foul trouble because he still is having foul issues. And I think for Malone, if you come into a game with a game plan of I'm going to sub out DeMarcus Cousins at the eight minute of the first quarter, I'm going to bring him back in to start the second, but then I'm going to sub Rudy Gay out to start the second for four minutes and then come back to them. I mean, the intention is there. We get it. You want things to work out. But the fact is... DeMarcus Cousins is playing 30 minutes a game. He's playing 30 minutes a game because he can't stand on the floor. It's not because the Kings don't want him on the floor. The Kings haven't exactly blown out teams for 48 minutes and walked away from games. So, again, it's not that he's – he's not playing major minutes because it's on him. So I think if there were a game plan, it would it would be specifically to break these guys up, but it just hasn't worked out that way, and you just can't leave Rudy Gay in forever. And you have to consider that both Gay and Cousins – played all the way through into what into late August with Team USA in Spain at the World Cup. And so those guys came into training camp bedraggled. They were both beaten down. They've talked about, you know, DeMarcus Cousins just shakes his head in a locker room after games early in the season, just like, man, I am beat. And he's beat because he's played a lot of basketball. He's in the best shape of his career. But at the same time, you know, there has to be that moment where he gets a little break. And there's not going to be that moment. DeMarcus Cousins, people don't understand this now. DeMarcus Cousins will be an all-star this year. There's no question about that. So he may get a couple of days at the at the all-star break because they've extended it. But there's just not that much of a period for him to recover from all of this basketball that he's playing. So that's that's kind of how I see it. Are you a little concerned like I am that the referees have kind of made their opinion on, on Boogie and that they're going to call him the way that they've called him instead of kind of changing their opinion of him like they've done with other players at certain points? Yeah, I mean, he's made his bed and he's got a lie in it, and he knows that. I think he knows that. You know, when you're a player who has personality quirks like DeMarcus Cousins does, and, and he has grown out of a lot of them, I've seen solid growth in the – you know, the four plus years that I've covered him. The issues that he has, though, is that he's burned bridges. You know, I think it was really surprising. They they had a game where um, things did get a little chippy and dicey, and it was Scott Foster who was officiating the game. 
and I thought it was really, really surprising that DeMarcus didn't pick up a technical in that in that game because Scott Foster and him have never had a good relationship. I know Cousins got a second tech during the halftime of a game with Scott Foster one time. I think it was in Utah. You know, you come out of the break and, and he's gone. He's out of the game um, because he's picked up a second tech. I think DeMarcus Cousins has made huge strides, and he wants people to know he's made huge strides. And sort of the narrative has changed, the national narrative, the the local narrative has changed on him, and it's good, it's awesome, you know, this whole, I, I don't want to have more than five techs. The problem is, he's got to undo a lot of a lot of negative things that he's done in the past before he can move forward, and it's sort of an awkward thing that I've dealt with him personally, where he's he doesn't want to hear about the past anymore. I'm not that guy anymore, but the fact is, that there's a context to anything that you write about DeMarcus Cousins. There's a context that you walk into a game as an official that you know what you're going to see from DeMarcus Cousins because you've seen it many, many times, and you've had to deal with it many times. I mean, there it's not just one incident. There's a ton of them. And to just like say, look, I'm going to hit the delete button and just, and just cancel out four years of, of sort of bad will, it's nice for DeMarcus Cousins to think that way, but – while the the national people, the national narrative is allowing that to sort of happen, that doesn't mean that everyone has to feel that way. And the refs haven't responded the way that you would expect them to or the way that he would hope them to so far this season. He's got two technicals. One of them was rescinded. Literally, he said absolutely nothing, walked away from an official with his mouth closed and got a technical. Uh, second tech, he was yelling at himself on his way to the bench for picking up a foul got a technical, again, not saying anything to the official. Both of those are very questionable technicals, and it sort of sets a standard for what DeMarcus Cousins should expect. He wants to be different. He is trying to be different, but that doesn't mean that everyone is going to accept him as different. He has to rebuild the trust, the reputation, and then hopefully it will will start to slowly see it improve for him. And I hope it does because – He's incredible to watch. I mean, what he did to Tim Duncan on Saturday night against San Antonio was just otherworldly. I mean, he made Tim Duncan look every bit the age, that he, the 38 years old that he is, um, just cut through him. And on the defensive end, stymied uh, Duncan as well. And we've seen it time and time again this season. There hasn't really been a game where he's been completely shut down, maybe against Golden State early on, but even then he, he – got Bogut and Festus Azili in foul trouble so quickly that, you know, the Warriors were forced to go small. This kid is improving every single night and it's it's really, really special to watch. There's not a, there's really not a player that I can compare him to. He's a complete outlier in the NBA right now as far as talent level and what he brings to a game. And, you know, he's he's got some Hakeem in him, but Hakeem couldn't dribble between his legs or run a break. Uh, he's got some Chris Webber in him, but he's a much better post player than Chris Webber ever thought of being. This is a special kid, and if he can move past his past, you know, the sky's the limit. He will be an MVP candidate. He will be a, a clear-cut all-star. He will be an all-NBA player because that's the talent level here, and he's still only 24 years old, and he's just going to keep getting better. Yeah, we were having a conversation on Twitter, a few people, uh, I can't remember which game inspired it, but I was talking about DeMarcus, and I remember as somebody who's covered the draft for years and followed it, that 
I was always in love with his physical talent, that he was a guy who not only the running and jumping stuff, which a lot of people do, but his footwork and his balance and all of that. And it basically what it was going to take was more the mental part of it, of him figuring it out and, and also embracing the importance of defense at his position. Because if somebody did what DeMarcus does at power forward, it'd be very different to succeed than what he has to do as center. And I think that in some ways Mike Malone might have come around at the right time, or maybe it would have happened otherwise, because the offensive part of it to me was always there. The rebounding was always there. But the defensive part of it has made him a more complete player, and that's what brings him into the All-NBA and All-Star discussion. Yeah, I think what's missed with DeMarcus Cousins is for his career, he averages 1.4 steals per game. He's got the quickest hands of any big man in the league, I believe. As far as being a shot blocker, he's never been a great shot blocker. But again, he's improved each and every year. He's at 1.4 blocks per game this season. I think another aspect of the game that's completely missed is I don't love block shots. I think block shots is a category that, for me, a lot of times it even hurts your team. I think that very few times is it just you block a shot, you grab the rebound, and you go to the other end. It's not a true change of possession like an offensive you know, taking the charges. And the fact is, DeMarcus Cousins is a league leader almost every single year in taking charges. He he stands his ground. He has quick feet, like you said. He's got incredibly quick hands. He does have good positioning. I mean, he's got a seven foot eight wingspan, so it's he doesn't even need to leave his feet against some of these guys to play defense. And I think what we're seeing is sort of the team defense aspect is improving. He's starting to understand that yelling at his teammates is not a productive way. Um, getting your teammates involved on an off on the offensive end leads to them playing better defense. You know, that's certainly what we've seen out of Ben McLemore the first four or five games of the season. He was absolutely atrocious on the offensive end, but he was very solid on the defensive end. They left him in there. They let him take his lumps, and then boom, he starts to explode, and you're seeing him develop that's what you have to do. You have to show the confidence in your teammates on both ends of the floor. Uh, it's something that the Kings haven't done with Jason Thompson yet to really get him involved. And, you know, Thompson and Cousins have never really seen eye to eye. They're not, they're not super close. But we're seeing them develop as a tandem. And if DeMarcus Cousins, you know, I think DeMarcus Cousins starts to get that in order for him to be on the floor, he needs Jason Thompson to guard the toughest offensive cover in every game, in the post, you know, they, the Kings can't have DeMarcus Cousins guarding LaMarcus Aldridge. He's going to foul out. It's got to be Jason Thompson. They can't have him guarding Blake Griffin. It's got, you know, again, it's got to be Jason Thompson that goes against Zebo in the Memphis game, that goes against Dirk Nowitzki. And what having a guy like Jason Thompson has done is it's allowed DeMarcus to be a better defender. And also I think it allows him to see the game differently and go and to realize that while he is a great player, that what Jason Thompson can do for him is even make him better. And so we're seeing the maturation. I mean, defense, offense, everything, it, it just takes a little while. And he wasn't very coachable early on. He's becoming very, very coachable as he's, he's getting into his mid-20s, and that's what you really were hoping for. One of the big questions with this Kings team that I've seen is that it, it looks like they have their answers for at least the next couple of years at center, small forward, and point guard. 
do you feel like the improvement at the other positions at shooting guard and power forward will come in-house, or do you think they have the pieces in place to acquire, through whatever means, the players to, who will be the best fits at those spots? I think the Kings need one more piece right now just to get in the playoff conversation. I think that they have a good shot at getting the 42-46 wins and being, what, a 7-8-9 team in the Western Conference, which is, you know, alarmingly productive after seeing years and years of bad basketball in Sacramento. But I I do think they need one or two more pieces, one specifically to get them over the hump. I I don't know what the biggest position of need is if you you look at it. I mean, they could use three. They could use three pieces because Ramon Sessions has really been, you know, less than stellar. I mean, he's been pretty, pretty awful this season. So if you if you look at that position, you know, they could use another backup point guard. Uh, but I think the reserve two, you don't want to bring in somebody who's going to just completely stymie the growth of Nick Stauskas because Stauskas does have a lot of skill and will eventually be a very, very good NBA player. And you don't want to take that many minutes away from him, Macklemore. So I think that shooting guard position is a little bit questionable. We already talked about, you know, Jason Thompson and his sort of what he brings to the table at the power forward position. But still, I think somebody else needs to come into this team. Do the Kings have the assets to to get somebody? That's a tough call. I think after December fifteenth, you know, you can deal Staus. I mean, you can deal um, uh, Ramon Sessions. They do have the expiring contract of Derek Williams for over six million dollars a year. I think there is a deal out there that could improve this team greatly uh, right away. You know a deal that makes sense for the Kings because they're, they're kind of going for it and makes sense for another team because they get to dump an extra year of contract. So like if I could, if I could make a deal, maybe like offer Milwaukee Derek Williams for OJ Mayo, who's played with Rudy Gay in the past, who has some continuity there, who understands how to shoot a, you know, positioning and he can shoot the three and really give you a spark off the bench behind McLemore early on, and then, you know, maybe they can even go three-guard sets on occasion to get Stauskas and Macklemore the minutes that they need. But, you know, why would Milwaukee do that deal? Because, you know, you're looking at $8 million for him next year where Derek Williams is an expiring contract and you can walk away and, you know, save yourself some money. So I think a deal like that, I'm not saying that's the deal, but I'm saying that there's a deal out there that makes sense for both teams. You know, again, you look at Jeff Green in Boston, would a deal to dump the last year of his salary make sense for Boston? And I think you can go around the league and, and pick and choose players that the Kings can get our maybe depressed assets that are maybe uh, assets that that have extra contract years that someone doesn't want to pay, or maybe a team is stepping back in rebuild mode even further. The Kings don't have the assets to go and chase Kenneth Fareed. I mean, that's just not something that they do, even though Denver looks like they're going to blow their thing up. You know, the Kings don't have a first-round pick through two, until 2017, actually through 2017, because of the J.J. Hickson, Omri Caspi trade from like three years ago. Jeff Petrie really sort of hamstrung this team and left them sort of in the lurch for a long time because of that deal. So do they have the assets? I'm not sure. It's going to cost you Stauskas or it's going to cost you Macklemore to go and get a high-end piece. Uh, and I'm not even sure that those guys have the clout still to uh, to go get you like a major player, but if Denver doesn't want Aaron Aflalo's contract for next season, 
and they would take a, a deal for an expiring contract, then, you know, again, I think the Kings can improve mightily by shoring up one position on this, this court and then letting the trickle down effect work its way. You know, if, if you do add a major piece on the perimeter that could allow, you know, a three guard set to sort of work its way out and Rudy Gay to slide over and play a little bit more four. And so I think that there is a way that this team can improve. I just, you know, it's going to take Pete D'Alessandro working the phones and, and being a little inventive and creative to get it done. Would you have any interest in former King and currently overpaid Timberwolf Kevin Martin? See, I think Kevin Martin's a great fit, but would the Timberwolves have any interest in bringing Derek Williams back? Because that's the one real asset that the Kings have that they can kind of throw out there. That's the type of deal that I'm talking about, though. I mean, Kevin Martin makes perfect sense. Kevin Martin on his way out of Sacramento wasn't exactly the most pleasant guy to deal with, but nobody's here. <laughs> nobody's left, you know, to sort of impart that knowledge to the guys that are here in Sacramento. You know, the the franchise is new here in Sacramento. Uh, Kevin Martin's a perfect fit. And, well, I don't know if he's a perfect fit because Kevin Martin doesn't play defense. But, again, Kevin Martin's a guy who gets to the line. He does allow the defense to go back and set itself up. You know, he's the guy that figures out a way to – stretch the defense to score 15 20 points a night without without taking more than you know 10 shots a game he's a he is a good value piece that I think that's but that is the type of guy that I'm I'm thinking Sacramento is looking for out on the open market it's just whether or not they can pull it in you know again if you can you know you talk I talked about Fareed there a minute ago if you could get Fareed then that's incredible I think you could you could put Fareed next to Cousins here long term and and have a a good run. If you could somehow get Greg Monroe out of Detroit, that's a perfect fit. Where you know you're looking at a long term asset that you could pump up and lock in, and this this team could really go places. I just don't think the Kings because they don't have first round picks. I don't think they have the assets to go get those pieces because you're going to have competition for those pieces. Yeah, when you're Sacramento, what you're looking for is a guy who. There, there's a term that I've used, um, and I used, created it kind of offhand. It's called the Nene test, and basically the idea is that whether a guy and his contract are considered an asset or not. What the Kings need to look for are guys who are not considered assets because of their contract, yes. but that contract is a smaller detriment to the Kings. And that's why I think Kevin Martin's a logical one if Minnesota sees it that way, and who knows if they do. I mean, the speculation that I heard as somebody who covers the Warriors is that they – saw him as an as a negative in a potential Kevin Love trade to the Warriors and the Warriors still wouldn't do it. Granted that there was a lot of Clay Thompson in the middle of that, but that was the way they did it. And the other huge benefit for Sacramento is that those situations will clarify with time. It would be hard to get somebody now because almost everybody, except for the Lakers, thinks that they're thinks that they're gonna have a shot of making the playoffs or, you know, at least making some noise. That will change later and the other possibility that I've thought a little bit about with them, if they could piece together the assets, would be to get a guy who's maybe a little less good, but that they can pick up an asset with him. Like, let's say Boston, they start to feel antsy and they think they can spend some money next summer as opposed to waiting another one. They could try to unload, like, Gerald Wallace's contract. Gerald Wallace is obviously not what he was, but if the Kings could pick up an asset to buy up some of their space now that they've already signed Rudy. I think that would make some sense for them as well. Yeah, I think by by re-signing Rudy Gay to a contract extension, the three-year $40 million deal, which keeps Collison, Cousins, 
Gay and Landry and Macklemore, Stauskas, it keeps that group together for at least the next three seasons, going into their new building in 2016. Um, so you're actually going to have that core group move into the new building. That's huge, right? And what it does is it uh, it allows Pete D'Alessandro to go out and assess he, – he's already assessed what he has, but to assess what's out there in the market and see what he can start adding to his team. If you don't have Rudy Gay locked up, then the Sacramento Kings get to like January 15th and they start looking around saying, are we any good or do we need to consider the fact that Rudy Gay might leave and that we're going to need to dump this guy? And we need to get something out of Rudy Gay. And that's not what happened, right? The Kings get off to a fast start. And I and I know this sounds crazy, but 10 games into the season, I think, was enough of a sample size for Rudy Gay to look at this and say, I think we've got something. And I think I'm okay being here and being part of this because I think we can go out and add more pieces and get there quickly here. And I want to be part of something that's, that's you know sort of fun and exciting, and uh, with the talk of the league, and you know, Rudy just had uh, his first child this this summer, and Sacramento's a really good place to raise kids. He's looking at a different lifestyle. He can go get himself a really nice house out in Granite Bay, and and sort of like live the high life here in Sacramento, and you know, do it in a sort of anonymity. Uh, doesn't have to worry about the national media banging on his door all the time. But I think what that deal did is it allowed Pete D'Alessandro just to go crazy. Like, look, I don't know what you've got to deal, but go deal it. If you got to deal a 2018 draft pick or 2019 draft pick, or if you can get somebody to give you a first-round pick so you can load up a bunch of other picks into another deal, um, this just opens a door. And it's a door that the Kings haven't been at in a while where they're, they have some security, some roster security, and they can be aggressive like they were last year. I mean, Pete D'Alessandro made his first move in November last year. He traded Luke Bamute for, for Derek Williams. He made his second deal in, uh, it was like December 9th is when he traded for Rudy Gay, something the 7th or the 9th. I mean, he's doing early season trades. He's not waiting around to see what the rest of the league is going to do. He's looking already at teams that clearly are in a funk, clearly aren't going to be good, and he's going to like focus in on those teams and try to get salary dumps, try to get, again, depressed depressed guys, guys that, you know, if you could find a player that is really solid but stuck on a bad team who makes $12 million a year, and, you know, that contract may be three years, you could give them Jason Thompson at $6 million for the next two years and then a buyout at the end, and Derek Williams, who's a, an expiring contract, and move right into that player and save somebody a lot of money long term. And I think that that is where Pete D'Alessandro is looking. I mean, you just don't know what teams are going are gonna to fade down the stretch. But right now, I think there are enough teams that you know that aren't any good and who do still have money owed to certain players that they might be willing to deal. And uh, that's where I think the Kings are they're, – they're kind of vultures. I, I like it. Pete is such a uh, – he's a fun personality, number one, but he's also just – he's always moving. He, he's always trying to shake things up, and I think they, the Kings want to give this team a little time to figure it out. But when Derek Williams comes in in the Dallas game, the momentum changed 
in 39 seconds. Derek Williams came in in the second quarter. The Kings had a huge lead, and in 39 seconds, he picked up three personal fouls for two hands in the back of Nowitzki on two calls and then a stupid reach-in foul, and he, he missed a wide-open shot in 39 seconds of play, went back to the bench, was never heard from again, but the momentum in that game was lost. Derek Williams is, is not going to play on this team. Omri Caspi has stolen his spot. If there's an injury, Derek Williams will play. If there's a just a blowout, Derek Williams will play. But at this point, he's like the 12th, 13th man on the bench, and he's an easily movable contract that there are plenty of teams that will that don't look at him as a basketball player, look at him as a $6 million expiring contract. Yeah, I think that I think it's a good way of putting it. And the other component of that is that as the Kings are doing better than expected, you have a smaller margin for error because losing actually matters. And so you don't want to risk it with a guy like that when you do it. Uh, another name that I thought of just for my own amusement was J.R. Smith. I just think that would be fun. <laughs> that would be fun, but like shoot yourself in the head fun, right? So I, I don't think – I mean, Pete Alessandro knows J.R. Smith. They they worked together in Denver, I assume, and I I could imagine that uh, – well, maybe they didn't. I, either way, I think taking a gamble on someone like that is a huge gamble. There are depressed assets, and then there are guys that's like, I mean, if you want J.R. Smith, why don't you just go see if Steven Jackson still wants to play basketball? I don't think you need to spend money on a guy like that or or risk the balance of your team on a guy like that because I don't know that he can bring enough to change anything. He can get hot and be a knockdown shooter. At the same time, you know, the Kings, do you want to put Nick Stauskas that deep on the bench for J.R. Smith? I don't know. I mean, by the end of the season, maybe he's uh, maybe Stauskas is ready to play maybe your minutes but it's an interesting guy I mean I I see where you're going there and I guess um, but J.R. Smith has what is it a uh, a player option for 6.4 million next year unless the Knicks are going to take one of the larger power forward contracts that the Kings have uh, off their hands that have you know multiple years Jason Thompson or Carl Landry off their hands then you're not going to do it and at this point the Kings need those two guys. Those two guys are actually playing well as a tandem. And so I don't know. I don't know that the Kings just make a deal unless it's really improving this team for a guy who is a personality issue. I don't want to make this just pitching players, but the other guy I thought of, you brought up OJ Mayo, and my immediate thought was Ersan Ilyasova, who I actually think would be a really nice fit with this team if he he's had such a weird run. But I think as a stretch for it, it'd be kind of fun to see him playing more with the starters considering the quality rebounding you have otherwise. I love it. Yeah, that's he's on my short list, you know, when I when I talk to people about this, you know, of course, I'm not I'm not starting rumors. We're not starting rumors here. We're we're sort of, you know, you're throwing names out and I would say how they fit. Um Ilisova is a guy that I I really like as a fit guy. He hasn't played, you know, a lot of games in the last couple of years and he also hasn't been very good. But he is a guy that, again, might be a an asset that when you stick him next to DeMarcus Cousins, it's like, you know, he reminds me a little bit of a little bit taller, a little bit bigger Nocioni when he played with the Bulls, not when he played with the Sacramento Kings and was like, oh, Jesus, get this guy off the court. Um, but 
you know, again, it, we just keep looking at the Milwaukee Bucks. It's like, does Larry Sanders make sense? You know, can Larry Sanders fit next to DeMarcus Cousins? And I think the answer is maybe, but you certainly would get the rim protector. But these are the types of players. I mean, you know, I, I could go all day long looking at the Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks roster and tell you guys that, you know, if you could get John Henson off their hands, talk about a spectacular perfect fit next to DeMarcus Cousins. And, uh, you know, maybe you just need to meld these two teams together, the, the two near uh, Seattle Supersonic teams. Uh, you just meld together, make a couple of deals back and forth where you, you know, you add some pieces to one team that makes sense and other pieces to another team. You know, Ramon Sessions can go back to Milwaukee again. Uh, you know, those are types of things that I, I think that's what you have to look at if you're the Kings. And the reason that Milwaukee makes so much sense, and I've been gravitating towards them as well, is that they're a team that it seems like they're working in the process of identifying their core, and they're a team that is still a small market team despite the amount that they sold for. And if they have the ability to shed money that is not a part of their future, then they should do that. And that's exactly who the Kings should target, because you know if they already if they feel like, which I think they should, that Jabari is their power forward and Giannis is their small forward, then why should you be paying a guy almost $8 million to come off your bench? And Henson, I think, is harder to move because Henson is awesome. But yeah. the idea is is the same. And that and you, I love the vulture idea because what Sacramento needs to understand, and this was a big criticism of mine in other years, is that when you're a team that isn't necessarily a free agent destination, then you need to use what you have as an advantage as a bludgeon and use that to – extract assets and those assets can be quality players or it can be draft picks. This is something that Houston did really well. Utah has actually done it in recent years with the trade that they did to get Richard Jefferson and Bedrins and those picks from the Warriors is that you use what you have. And if they're going into it with that mindset, I think they'll do much better than if they were going into it thinking, Oh, our players are so great. We need to get good things for them. Yeah, and I think the other reason why I, I always gravitate to, towards Milwaukee is because Milwaukee has a weird way of collecting similar types of players. So they sort of pigeonhole themselves into a team who just has, like, let me have, I, I need four power forwards who can't really play offense who are defensive-minded guys who can block shots, you know, and they keep doing it. They keep adding all of these pieces. But they don't have pieces that fit together. And it, it's always like, again, it, it's sort of a weird functionality issue that I've seen with their roster over the last, like, four or five seasons where you start stacking up, you know, Henson and Sanders and Ekpeudo and, you know, just keep going. They just keep adding the same type of guy and then all of a sudden it's like, well, when you go to the bench, when things aren't going well and you're getting smoked and you go to the bench and you, you just bring in a guy with a different name on the back of his jersey who does the exact same thing, then I don't think it works. And that's why like, I've always thought that Jason Thompson for one of their defensive specialists would be a good idea. Although I think Jason Thompson's developed as a very, very good position defender as his career has gone, you know, sort of the way it has. But the Sacramento Kings don't know how to use him on offense still. Jason Thompson is a much better offensive weapon than what the Kings have allowed him to be. Um, and he's a guy that I've always thought, like, look, if you could move him to Milwaukee for the right, the right 
swap out player, I think they could he could excel there and the Kings could excel with a different style of player. But it's such a delicate balance, you know, when you catch lightning in a bottle and it's not you know, I keep saying six and four, six and four, could have been eight and two, could have been eight and two. I keep saying this, but then you match up the schedule that the Kings faced and you go, Wow, okay, wait a sec. So they lost to Golden State, but they beat Portland, they beat the Clippers, they beat Denver twice. You know, you start piecing they've they've beat San Antonio. Uh they had their foot on the neck of of Memphis, who hadn't lost at home in seventeen straight games, and they've got their neck on the throat of Dallas and, and can't finish it. You know, really the only real disappointing game that you've seen so far is Oklahoma City game where they probably should have just killed Oklahoma City because they're a much better team than Oklahoma City. You start to worry, like, do I want to uh, – here, because you're a guy who lives in the Bay Area, do I want to – you want to suspicious this thing? Do I want to give up a guy who maybe doesn't look great on paper but could – but who's playing a, a potentially crucial role on this team – Hope that I can plug in a different player. I mean, look, the the one thing that if 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 the Kings are just make the colossal error and do the uh, the Josh Smith trade that was rumored again and again and again, you know, where they give up, you know, Jason Thompson and and Derek Williams for for Josh Smith, then I think everyone in the league just looks at them and goes, why? Why did you just do that? I mean, it could have been you you may have had something great. And you're risking it on a guy like Josh Smith. That's that's not the deal the Kings need to do. The Kings need to do a deal that is a clear, clear upgrade. You know, again, I don't know around the league if you look around, do the Warriors want to dump, you know, David Lee still? And if they do, do the Kings have two players that make sense to eat up the contract? Maybe David Lee is a spectacular fit next year to DeMarcus Cousins. Again, not a great defense player, but Michael Malone would know his strengths and weaknesses as well. I mean, those are the deals where you look around the league and say, how can the Kings improve themselves without destroying everything? And I, I don't think the gamble is going to happen. I think that adding a very solid piece is going to happen because that's where the Kings are right now because of their record. It's not very fair for you to get me excited about a David Lee salary dump like that. Uh, but, you know, let's be honest. They, they've they offered David Lee up for like, you know, for like a cup of ramen, like a couple of summers in a row. I mean, David Lee is a very good NBA player, and I think he could help the Sacramento Kings. And, and I think, you know, Carl Landry could help the Golden State Warriors, especially if they go small ball and then they bring Landry up. I mean, that's – what I'm talking about where you might be able to piece something together that makes sense for two teams and, and push forward. I, you know, again, Carl Landry still working himself back into shape and, and I'm never going to tell you that a Carl Landry, Derek Williams trade for, for David Lee is going to make anyone in the Bay area happy and, and may not make sense on paper, but it might make sense in the win and loss column when it comes to crunch time. So I mean, those are things that I think that the Kings are going to be looking at is who's going to pop up, who might still be available, who do they know that they can work with, and then, you know, wipe out the the really, really cool trades that, that everyone would like to, you know, trade machine like, you know, again, 
Derek Williams and Jason Thompson for Kenneth Fareed. That's just never going to happen. I mean, you're never going to, you're not going to get Greg Monroe to sign off on a deal to leave Detroit. And even if you did, Detroit's going to want a whole heck of a lot more than what the Kings have to offer. And so you've just got to figure out a deal. Although, you know, would make Stauskas look good in a Detroit Pistons jersey, knowing he's from Michigan? And, you know, would, would something like that make sense? And I, I don't know the answer right now, but I think that they're, the Kings are aggressively hunting right now because I think they believe that they're onto something, and this is only going to get better. You brought it up, so I'll talk about it. The Greg Monroe situation is really distinct, and I think a lot of people don't understand it because what, what the deal is with him is that he's on his tender, and what that means is that if he gets traded, he has a no-trade clause. So if he gets traded he loses what are called bird rights, which means that the team that has him at the end of the season cannot use that his status to go over the cap to sign him. So the question that Greg Monroe needs to be asking himself is, would I do more to help my value as a free agent going somewhere that makes more sense with my talent? Sacramento makes that really compelling because he would make them a much better team. He wouldn't maybe get as many touches, but he would definitely be getting prominence. And I, I, I would also love to see him as not obviously you'd have him, I think, start and finish games, but you could also make him another anchor for that second unit, not defensively, but offensively and say, you know, you can run through him. If the Kings were willing to give up Stauskas in that move, I think GM slash coach Dan Van Gundy would probably do it. But you still have Greg Monroe who'd have to make that decision. And I honestly don't know, but that would be so much fun to consider. Yeah, isn't that you know the the Monroe situation is always difficult to talk about because the the common fan doesn't understand the nuances of what happened there, and it's a very specific thing that happened that we haven't seen happen very often. The one thing I would point out that it, if Sacramento were to make that deal, knowing that you will not have Larry Bird rights to Greg Monroe, they're going to have to drop a contract in that deal for next year because. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you can't even re-sign Greg Monroe in season. You've got to wait until the free agency period begins. And so the Kings would like extend something out and then hope that, you know, that they could keep Greg Monroe on the back end. I think if you swap Greg Monroe out for a, a package of, you know, say Carl Landry and Nick Stauskas or Jason Thompson and Nick Stauskas, I think that's it's slightly inviting. But again, Detroit's going to want Derek Williams expiring contract. Then when you get to next off season, you have this issue that you don't have enough, enough salary to lock Greg Monroe in. So you've taken the pieces that you have because he has no bird rights and the Kings will, you know, maybe they're, they're between eight and 10 million under the cap for next season after the Rudy Gay deal. But now you've got to actually move another, another asset to clear up enough room to give Monroe the 10 or $12 million a year. I love Greg Monroe's game. And I think what we're going to see here is, is Greg Monroe in the Western conference. Could you imagine Greg Monroe with the Phoenix suns? I mean, come on his ability to pass and to, and to move the ball out of the post. You put him next to a guy like Plumlee and then just have him flinging the ball all over the place. You slide him over to center when you go small and now he's got four shooters around him. I mean, I and I love him in Sacramento. I think he could be that extra guy to to run the offense through, like you said, 
you know, I think the one good thing about Carl Landry is he's so patient. He's so good in the post. He can score on anybody. He does get offensive rebounds, although it doesn't make sense that he doesn't get defensive rebounds. But if you swap those two players out and you add in Monroe's ability to open up the floor a little bit and you add his, you add his ability to move the ball and, and to run the offense through, you can run – the post offense through Carl Landry, you can run your entire offense through Greg Monroe. And that's where I think, you know, he is like a, a player that I've got like the biggest red circle around. If I'm the Sacramento Kings, how do I get Greg Monroe? How do I get him to say yes? And I, you know, there's something I wrote about the other day. I think one of the, the biggest thing that's missing from Rudy Gay signing a contract extension in Sacramento is the Kings just took a Ferrari that had like basically thrown a rod and that no one wanted to pay because, you know, it's going to cost, you know, almost as much as the cars were to, to swap a new engine into it. And then they fixed the engine somehow. They made it right again. And they put it next to a player. They put him next to a player that made him successful again. And then they didn't just, what they didn't do is they didn't rehabilitate something and then lose it. They rehabilitated it. They and they re-signed him, and they basically just put a schematic out there for what Sacramento can do for you. Sacramento can take you a depressed asset. They can turn you into the the player that you were before, and you're going to love them so much for it, and you're going to love being there so much that they're going to take the next step, and they're going to be able to re-sign you. And that is what I think it – Pete D'Alessandro just like did such an incredible service to himself by having this work out the way that it did. Uh, it was a gamble. It was a huge gamble, except for the fact that the Kings gave up very little. But you know, having to pay $19.3 million to Rudy Gay this year is a gamble. It's a huge gamble. And what the Kings successfully did here is they put themselves back on the map not as like – maybe even as a free agent destination because Rudy Gay wants to play here. Rudy Gay is a high-quality player, and he rehabilitated himself, and now he's ready to go. So I think Greg Monroe comes in and and thinks the same way. I mean I think the Kings have proven that they can turn this this thing around, the new ownership group, the new management group, the new coaching staff. Everything is fresh and new and exciting. they got a new building coming up. I think Sacramento might be a hotbed, and I think the Rudy Gay situation helped out a lot. And it, that's what the Kings are looking for. They're looking for the next Rudy Gay, and those guys are out there. I guarantee it. It's just whether or not you can get one of them to buy in. The only thing I need to add to that is the other component of it that I thought was impressive was that one of the key pieces of the Rudy Gay trade was Grievous Vasquez, that they basically got up just by – swindling the Hornets and now now Pelicans into thinking that they were even considering matching that that offer for Tyreek and that got them an asset that asset was used to get Rudy Gay and now they might have gotten Rudy Gay on a below market extension exactly and, and you see the same thing with the Isaiah Thomas trade um, the Isaiah Trump Thomas trade it got the it, it didn't bring in a player but the the Kings were able to pick up a a nice trade asset in a, an expiring, I mean, a, a trade exemption. You know, I'll say this too. I, there's some been, there's been some subtleties to what Pete D'Alessandro has done in this offseason that a lot of people who aren't salary cap guys, who aren't 
fully invested in what happens in the league and how you manipulate and how you move pieces that you're going to miss because he takes Jason Terry and he trades Jason. I mean, who wants Jason Terry and his $5.8 million deal? Certainly not the Kings after he goes on radio stations in Dallas and talks trash. So who wants Jason Terry? And you got a 36-year-old guy making $6 bucks, and somehow you turn him into Alonzo Gee and another expiring contract. Uh, you give up two second-round picks, but who cares? They just cleared $6 million in cap space without doing anything. You know, they took uh, Travis Outlaw and Quincy Acey. They dealt them to the Knicks Outlaw because he was already he's already amnestied. You couldn't stretch provision him, so he was signed under the previous CBA, and you couldn't use the NBA stretch provision where you get to take his three million dollar contract and spread it out over three years. So they deal him and Acey to the Knicks for Jeremy Tyler on a non guaranteed deal and Wayne Ellington on a three million dollar deal or a two point seven million dollar deal. And but Ellington signed under the new CBA, and the Kings were able to stretch provision him. So, so they saved 1.8 million dollars in salary cap right then. And so they keep doing these like crafty little moves to get themselves, you know, some room under the the luxury tax to get themselves down in salary, so then they can go back out and sign a Ramon Sessions, which ends up being, you know, as of today, like not the greatest signing, but. If Ramon Sessions finds himself, then you know maybe maybe you have a guy off the bench that's really good and they can provide something when Collison is having an off night or injured, or the same thing. You know maybe you can put Collison and Sessions in the backcourt together for a few minutes if you have injury problems, or if you want to go with a, a two-point guard set like uh, against the a team like the Phoenix Suns. So the Kings have been like extremely savvy. The other thing is, I mean, the the Kings took over this team before the draft, before they draft uh, McLemore and McCallum, who, again, McCallum's hiding on the bench and is going to be a player in this league. But another guy that maybe Detroit, uh, with his Detroit Mercy ties, would be intrigued by. But when they took over the team, the only guys that are left from that team are DeMarcus Cousins and Jason Thompson. That's it. We're talking about a complete and utter roster changeover in like like 13 months. I, I've never seen anything like it. Everyone is gone. They signed Carl Landry. They drafted two players. You know, you're right. They they pick up – they let Tyreek go, but they pick up Gravis in that deal. They get Luke Bamute for two second-round picks to Milwaukee or a second-round pick and a future possibility of a second-round pick. And then they turn that into Derek Williams, who, of course, busts out. But, again, now Derek Williams is a huge asset for them as an expiring contract. They have collected assets, and you know some are big assets like Rudy Gay, some are small assets like trade exemptions, but they've done a masterful job of resetting a roster and building something very quickly that all of a sudden has potential. I mean, if you looked, if you told me that you're going to only have Jason Thompson and DeMarcus Cousins remaining on a roster, and you are going to come into a season against, you know, basically eight playoff teams and and be six and four to start the season, I think everyone would be shocked. And adding to that, this team's been together like six weeks. That's it. I mean, this team's been together for training camp and 10 games. And five rotational guys are new. Five. And they're six and four. That's why I think a lot of people around the league are starting to take notice and starting to say, okay, maybe they do have something because they've the chemistry is building quickly. Even though a lot of pieces aren't working yet, 
even though Sessions and Stauskas are struggling and, you know, Carl Landry has nights where he looks great and nights where he looks like, you know, Father Time's caught up to him. You know, there are these – this team is is got some sort of something building that people are shocked by. But at the same time, it's like maybe it is sustainable. Maybe maybe they are going to be okay, especially if you do get some of these pieces that aren't performing well to start, you know, fulfilling the roles that they're in. And so, I, you know, again, I think the Kings are on to something. I definitely think they could be too. And my last question ties into that. And it's how would you personally define success for this year's Sacramento Kings team? Well, I think, I think success, you can't define it yet. And I would like to say, Oh, you know, the nine seed, the, you know, they're right outside the playoffs or they're, you know, they show massive improvement, but I think that there's a danger in trying to define success because you don't know what you have yet. And the reason uh, that may sound like sort of a cop out, but let me just say, like, how do you define success uh, when you go into Memphis and you have a 26 point lead and you lose on a buzzer beater? Do you look at it as, well, they had won 17 in a row at home. And so, you know, we lost to a really good team. Or do you define it as we're idiots. We just blew a 26 point lead and lost a game that we had no business losing. We should have just absolutely mopped the floor with that team. So if the Kings get through this first stretch where literally the first 12 games of the season, if you looked at in the beginning of the season, a lot of people had them going like 1-11. Maybe they would sneak one game against Denver, maybe 2-10. and 12, uh, two and 10. If they get through it and they're, say, 7-5 and five or they're 8-4, and four, then I think defining success is like defining success in that Memphis game you got to define it as if you're eight and four now against the best the West has to offer. I know there was a point this season where the Kings had five, uh, five wins against the Western conference and they had won five in a row. They're five and one. They had more games won against the Western conference than the entire Eastern conference had against the Western conference. You have to change your idea of what defining success is. And if you're going to define success as the Kings, you know, are a playoff team or an eight seed, or they might be an eight seed, then I think you're limiting what success is for this team. Because what they've already shown is that maybe they're not a championship contender, but maybe they are a four seed. Maybe they are a five seed. Maybe they are a 25 win team. You don't know yet because this team is just, it's, so fresh it's so new and the pieces you know if they do lock in and they they do start having more success they continue the line of success then i don't think limiting them to a low playoff seed is something that you should do because again best center in the game potentially the best small forward in the western conference quality pieces at different positions you know, the ability to go out and, and bring more pieces in to help. I, I think you have to wait to see. I mean, I got to wait till January at least before I start defining what success is for this team. And even then, that's still a little scary because new young teams that come up out of nowhere, they tend to have a lull in the second half where they start running out of gas and, you know, maybe they lose eight of 10 during a stretch and they sink down. Um, but again, you tell me how good do you think this team is, and then you know where do you define success? And and I don't know. I it's it's such a difficult question. 
my definition for success with the Kings, and you gave gave word answer. Mine doesn't have wins and losses in it at all. What it is for me is having a four, finding a fourth person, ideally on roster, not necessarily on roster now, but on roster, let's say by the deadline, who is one of the fourth player in their top six for whatever they see as their peak. So if that's, I think that's probably next year or the first stadium year. Now that Rudy is under contract for both of those years, and so you have a guy that might be Ben McElmore. That might be Greg Monroe, you know, whoever that is, that you have that fourth person. And then the hope is that you can use the flexibility we spent time talking about to get the fifth and that internal improvement, I would guess, would lead to the sixth. And so if you can get those top six together, then I think that they're on that they would be really on their way to being a team that can make it out. And also, if you wanted to find successes lobbying the league so that they go to a top 16 system as opposed to the top eight in the Western Conference. No, I, I think that's right on, right on uh, key with, you know, uh, you bring up the fourth guy. The fourth guy is so huge. Right now they, they've got three, and then they've got, they've got three, four guys who might be able to be that fifth guy, but not really the fourth guy. They need that one other piece, I think. Uh, maybe Macklemore has the potential to be that guy, um, but he does have some flaws to his game that needs some work. And, uh, you know, clearly – I, I at 28 years old, Jason Thompson doesn't just turn the key and all of a sudden he's a, you know, a, a 12 and, and nine guy who plays. You don't get Buck Williams. You don't get Charles Oakley out of him out of nowhere. Uh, he doesn't redefine his game that much and become that piece quickly. But I do think that Carl Landry is a guy that you're going to, as a bench scorer, you know, potentially one of the better uh, low post bench scores in the league. I think that you know, again, Macklemore potential, Stauskas potential. You do need to find that guy. But, hey, either way, it's been fun to watch. It's been a lot better for the fans, and it, they're showing improvement, which is something that I don't think anyone saw. I think the Kings were probably uh, predicted by most people to be the worst team in the West, and I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the West. And, and I'm not willing to say how high they're going to go, but – same time, I'm not going to limit them because they've proven they've proven everyone wrong at this point, and I believe that they're going to continue to prove people wrong, especially when the schedule gets soft and they start running through Eastern Conference teams like a hot knife through butter, and then people are going to go, oh, wait, wait, wait a sec, what do we have here? I mean, there's and there's some bad Western Conference teams too that this team hasn't faced yet. I mean, they haven't got Minnesota, they haven't got the Lakers. There are plenty of teams that this that this specific team can buzzsaw through in both the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference, and they have shown the ability to knock down just about anyone that you put in front of them in, in the Western Conference, including, again, Portland, the Clippers, San Antonio, uh, what they did in Dallas and Memphis, whether they won those games or not, the ability to throttle somebody in different ways, too. They, they've got some creativity to them, except for they can't shoot the free ball, which is alarming. Uh, I guess that's that's the guy. That's what they have to add. They have to add three-point shooting. But besides that, it, it's been fun. It's been impressive. And uh, after four years of covering just super bad basketball and a uh, a lot of relocation junk, this is it's fun as a writer to cover something that's turning and that's fun to watch and that you know the players are in better moods, you're getting better content, uh, it's not doom and gloom. It, this is a much, much easier thing.
thing to watch and to be part of. Uh, so at least there's that, right? Absolutely, there's that. And is there anything else you want to impart with fans? I think we've hit a lot of a lot of different things. Yeah, I can talk. I'm sorry about that. Uh... <laughs> no, no, don't don't apologize for it. If the content's good and it has been, I'm always happy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, no, I, I mean, I I would say don't sleep on them. Don't sleep on them. I think that there's a couple of teams that are are separating themselves in the Western Conference as like really really top-notch teams but there's only one that I think gives the Kings a lot of fits and that's the Golden State Warriors and I think for the first time possibly ever the Warriors and Kings have an appearance that they will both be good that they will both be quality fun teams to watch I would love nothing more than to see a second round playoff match or a first round playoff match Kings against Golden State, where we got to go back and forth, hang out, watch these games, you know, down there and up here at Sleep Train and and sort of see how it goes, you know, like let these teams tear each other apart with two contrasting styles that are just so, uh, you know, counter to each other and, and see the chess match between two young up and coming coaches and Kerr and Malone. I think that's that's what basketball is about. It's about rivalries and about, you know, sort of the excitement that comes with watching a team take that first step. Uh, you're watching the Warriors take that second or third step. It's it's so much fun to watch, you know, that development happen, especially when you've been lost in, you know, eight seasons of non-playoff basketball and the disintegration of a franchise and uh, the lowest points, you know, not being a 17-win season, but being a, a 25-win season where, you know, your entire fan base is weeping, thinking that the last game that they ever saw in Sacramento was a come-from-behind victory by the Los Angeles Lakers to where this team is now. And that in itself is is really a an interesting journey. It's been an interesting journey for me, but but as, you know, the entire the Kings fan base watching them have to go through this and and getting something to cheer about it's pretty awesome to watch because again these are people that stood up and fought to keep a team and to see them get some payoff is really cool yeah absolutely and let's hope that the cheering continues and thanks so much for taking the time hey anytime you need me thanks again to James Ham for taking the time to come on he you can read him at Cowbell Kingdom and you can follow him on Twitter at James underscore Ham. That's J-A-M-E-S underscore H-A-M. As things turned out, we recorded this on Tuesday morning. I ended up going to the game on Tuesday night with the Pelicans coming into town to face the Kings, and we saw a lot of the different things that James and I talked about in terms of a strong start. Then I think the bench was a part of what led to New Orleans coming back, and then the starters ended up you know, not doing much to help their own cause. They... Talked about it after the game, both Darren Collison and DeMarcus Cousins talked about how they gave them life and how the Pelicans were looking down. They played a lot of tough games recently, and they were missing Omar Oshik. But the change that will have to come all over, the improvements that we talked about, and I thought more about the idea that the second unit needs a rim protector. I think we saw a lot of that in yesterday's game. Anthony Davis played great, but they could use somebody back there to really forge that identity that they've started with the guys that they have. And one of the things that James and I talked about, and we cracked a joke on it last night, was we talked on the podcast about playing DeMarcus and Darren Collison together with the subs, and that hadn't happened before. It happened last night, so 
between when we recorded and when we did that, they did it for the first time. Very encouraging. Hopefully they do it more. It was a, a pleasure getting to talk to him. It was a pleasure getting to meet him again. And you should definitely follow him if you're into the Kings or if you want a window into Sacramento. I'm somebody who sadly doesn't get to spend a ton of time there, but I feel like reading him and Cowboy Kingdom in general, it's a way to be in touch with that fan base and be in touch with where that team is going beyond watching them on League Pass, which I do. So as I always say, your content, your input makes the show better. So you can hit me up on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or you can email me at daniel.larue at realgm.com. I read everything, I respond to as much as I can, and it does impact the show. So thank you so much for taking the time. Take care and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? 